Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. This audio edition is created in conjunction with partners as part of our Market Voice series. Well, it seems the pressure bearing down on social platforms like Meta's Facebook has media companies sensing a change in the competitive trade winds for the first time in probably a decade. And News Corp is one aiming to pounce. The group's product and strategy boss, Susie Carbill, says legacy media companies have long been under pressure from the data smarts and audience scale of social platforms, but are now matching their pace with full funnel advertising and marketing solutions that mean companies like News Corp are emerging as viable alternatives to the tech media powerhouses. So with such bold assertions, what does a viable media company alternative to the socials look like? We're about to find out. Welcome, Susie Carwell. Well, let's start at ground zero, shall we? Why the confidence that News Corp can finally compete with the Silicon Valley tech players? Um, I'm mostly very fascinated, Susie. <laughs> Hello, Paul, and um, great to be back. Um, yeah, look, we've we've been listening to the market on this issue over the last sort of um, six to eight months, and you know we've been hearing about the challenges that, you know, our agencies and our marketing partners have been having in driving the same sort of effectiveness out of their social channels as they used to be able to drive. Right. As we all know, with the with the changes that Apple made uh, in iOS to the ability uh, to track about well over 12 months ago now, um, that has um, significantly limited advertisers' ability to really understand um, the effectiveness of their advertising in those channels. Let's be clear on that one, Susie. I mean, I just want to be clear to make sure that our audience understands this because the changes from Apple in Meta and Facebook and Instagram's case meant that they couldn't track off their platform, which is what Apple allowed them to do prior to these changes. Is that correct? Have I got that right? Yeah, so they couldn't, that's exactly right. That's exactly right, Paul. So the changes that Apple made within iOS gave the consumer the ability to turn off um, tracking. And anecdotally, we we understand that, you know, somewhere in the region of 80 to 85% of people have, have done that. Have opted out of being tracked. Have opted out of being tracked. They've turned mm. it off. So that means that the... Uh, you know, apps like uh, Meta and Instagram and various other social apps can no longer track what their users do uh, outside their app, outside their environments. They used to be able to show an advertiser that if a consumer had clicked uh, on a particular piece of content within their app, that where they then went to outside their app, whether they went to the advertiser's site or whether they went somewhere else. Um, they, they, they're really challenged in being able to do that now. So many of our agencies and our advertisers are really challenged in understanding the effect that the Meta and Facebook and Instagram and other social environments are are having. And that's just a you know that's just the reality of the of the effect that the changes um, have had. So, you know, we've been we've been hearing that and we've also been hearing, uh, you know, we've been hearing concerns about some of 
the effects that those environments are having at a societal level. And those things kind of combined, we kind of took that away and we said, well, how do we um, help advertisers and marketers fill the gap that they're seeing in in those social um, platforms? So we kind of took it away and we broke it down and we said, well, were they getting in those social platforms um, and how can we build that? So first of all, we know they were getting uh, really granular targeting. So we we now have that um, ability to target our audiences at a really granular level based on what we know they're interested in and in many cases what we know they're intending to buy. We've got that ability because, you know, as you know, we've been building out our own data platform, News Connect, for about the last five years now, and we've really focused on gathering all of the signals of intent, all of the signals of interest, um, all of those really rich um, content consumption and behavioural signals from across our network, you know, 20-plus brands, 30-plus sites and apps um, across the network, we are gathering information about what our consumers are reading, what they're watching, the sites that they're on and the context that they're in. All of that allows us to kind of really richly and deeply start to segment our audience. So, you know, as an example, if we've got a group of our audience regularly going to our travel sections um, of, of our mastheads, you know, on the Australian or on the Daily Telly, and they're also going to escape.com.au and they, uh, you know, in the last sort of two weeks, they've looked at, um, you know, three or four articles on international beach holiday destinations. We're able to collect that. We're able to um, put those people into a segment and then we're able to make them available to our travel partners, you know, to advertise a Bali beach holiday too. So it's that kind of granularity that we've been building across, you know, pretty much every category you can name, um, retail, FMCG, travel, auto, et cetera, et cetera, you name it, we can find intenders in those categories. So that's kind of the first piece. Right. And I was going to ask, that is, that's almost the, the targeting piece then, finding which, which of your audience is consuming what so that you can contextually put something to them. But then what happens after that? Because News Corp's talked a lot in recent months about this whole full funnel play. So getting them at the top of the funnel, awareness, consideration, but then also converting right down the bottom. Now, tell me if I'm getting ahead of myself here, but what happens after that first targeting point you talked about? Yeah, no, well, well, that's right. And so, I mean, alongside the targeting where, you know, we've got the ability then to to present those audiences with the kind of rich and engaging formats that, you know, they would also see in the social media, in the social uh, media channels as well. So we've got a product through, uh, through a partnership that allows an advertiser to take their social posts from Meta, from Insta, from TikTok, pretty much from any social platform and literally lift and shift them into a News Corp environment targeted towards their um, target audience. So that's a piece of technology that doesn't see the advertiser or the agency have to undertake any new creative or anything like that to put their social content and their social posts um, directly into our environments. So with that targeting and then that ability to repurpose and, and use their existing content, we've then got the ability to then understand that the, that the actions that those users take off the back of that content. 
So, you know, alongside the targeting capability, we've built out uh, an ability to understand the actions that um, that target audience take off the back of being exposed to the campaign. And this is where we look to provide those kind of full funnel solutions that you mentioned. Um, You know, we can, you know, depending on the objective of a particular campaign, we can uh, look at helping an advertiser drive brand awareness or a brand effect, um, a brand uplift. We can help them drive a consideration effect to get the consumer to start to be thinking about their brand when they're in market. And then, you know, all the way down the bottom of that pointy funnel, um, we can then uh, help the advertiser uh, drive towards a sale or some kind of other outcome, you know, like a registration or a sign-up or something like that. Right. So that's theoretically, and obviously from your position, that's the products that you can deliver now, Susie Cobble, but but are there any case studies? Anyone? Does um, it actually work? Yeah. Does it work? Exactly. (laughs) Yes. You know, good news is is yes, and I guess I probably wouldn't be sitting here if it didn't. What we've been kind of we've been able to look over the last sort of you know twelve to eighteen months at uh, at a whole lot of different campaigns across a whole lot of different categories to measure the effectiveness at each stage um, of that funnel. And you know, if we're looking at the at that higher end of the funnel where we've been driving uh, consideration. So in a category like a furniture retailer, for example, we've been able to drive a consideration effect there um, where, you know, we worked with a particular um, furniture retail brand and, you know, we found that of the people who were exposed to a particular, to their campaign on our network, they were 55% more likely to visit the store, to actually go in store than those who hadn't been exposed to a campaign. You know, similarly, we've got, you know, in the auto space, we worked with a particular auto brand uh, to drive visitation into dealerships to get people to test drive. And the people who were exposed to that campaign were two times more likely uh, to visit the dealership than those who weren't exposed. So we've got kind of numerous examples of those, you know, at at that higher end, driving a brand effect and driving consideration. And then at that lower end of the funnel, you know, we've got the ability to measure um, transactions and purchase um, across many different categories. In FMCG, um, you know, we work with our partner in Flybys to be able to measure you know, people who were exposed to a campaign and then went into a cold supermarket to make a purchase. We have one particular FMCG brand uh, who we worked with last year who achieved a three-to-one return on their ad spend. That is, for every dollar that they spent with us, $3 in sales were driven from people who were exposed to the campaign specifically on our network. And tracked through to a store purchase at Coles via flybys. Is that right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So tracked through from... Um, exposure to the campaign, they saw the campaign on our network, uh, you know, one, two, three or four times and then actually went in and made a purchase. Tick, you got a couple of case studies there, Susie Cardwell. Now, and they seem uh, fairly, you know, material results. The broader question then is, okay, you got a couple of case studies, but more broadly, are agencies and advertisers buying this yet, buying your capability yet and buying the capability that this is as good as what they could get in a social media context? Um, Short answer, yes. I mean, we've been out in market with this message for uh, about the last eight, nine weeks. 
And uh, we are seeing a really strong, uh, you know, we're seeing a really strong uptake. And it is definitely, the messages are definitely um, resonating uh, within agencies. So we have seen, we're very pleased with the results so far, and we're going to continue to drive this message throughout the rest of the year. So the briefs are flowing in? The briefs are absolutely flowing in, and the, and the good news is that the conversion rate is really high from those right. briefs as well. Right. Okay, your argument is that advertisers have a choice and they are choosing to at least trial what's going on more broadly. Let's take that as a given. But what about what's happening? That's on the targeting, the data, the results. You know, one of my, I guess, pet themes is is more broadly about how we have brands and agencies talking a lot about purpose and doing good. At the same time, we see a stack of studies pointing to, say, the detrimental health and mental health effects from some of the socials or from the socials. But I'm just interested in whether this is having any influence on brands putting dollars back into those platforms or going elsewhere, i.e. News Corp. Let me give you an example of this broader societal challenge that's going on from the socials that are cited by, for instance, the US Center for Diseases Control, which uh, between 2000 and 2007 it says that the suicide rate for 10 to 24-year-olds was stable in that time frame for seven years to 2007. Then it increased 57% in the following 10 years. MIT uh, has a study on social versus mental health. It shows that college-wide access to Facebook increased anxiety disorders by 20%. So I guess my you know lofty question, Susie Cardwell, is, is any of those, the outrage culture, the fracturing of societal uh, civics, and the impact on on health, mental health and well-being, is any of that having any impact on whether advertisers want to back sort of social platforms that contribute to this? Long-winded question, lots of evidence, but I'm just interested in whether you're picking any of that up. So there's no doubt that agencies and marketers are acutely aware of everything that you've just spoken about. They're looking for alternatives. They're looking for places where they can continue to drive their marketing outcomes. And that's why, you know, that's why we think our offering is designed to do exactly that. It's designed to provide them with a place where they can have an alternative and where they can continue to drive, you know, their marketing outcomes, whether it be a brand effect or whether it be all the way through to a sale. Okay, point taken on that one, Susie. Um, what about some of the the other developments that are going on in the industry at the moment? We can talk about attention metrics. We talk about net zero programs and Scope 3 just arrived in Australia, launched in Australia. I think you have some questions around all of those sorts of initiatives and what's coming to market. What's the concerns? you have some concerns? I don't think they're concerns so much as, I guess, questions and a requirement for us to start to look at how we can standardise some of these new measures as they come into the digital marketing ecosystem. I've been around, I've been involved in digital media and advertising long enough to have seen um, many different forms of measurement and metrics come into the ecosystem. And, And each time it happens, we have multiple players coming in with a slightly different way of measuring a particular outcome. So, you know, viewability came in and we had two major players come in to measure viewability uh, across 
websites like ours. And then we had different agencies take up different standards of viewability. You know, some had 100% of pixels in view for a certain amount of time. Some had 50% of pixels in view for a certain amount of time. Right, yeah. Got really confusing, didn't it? It got really confusing. And the net result for us was that we ended up having to, you know, to work with multiple um, viewability measurement providers. And then we had to work with various different agency uh, frameworks to provide that measurement. You know, we're seeing a similar kind of situation occurring with both attention and now with carbon output measurement um, as they've come into the as they come into the market. So, you know, we've got we've obviously got amplified intelligence who have done an amazing job in educating the market about attention and the importance of attention and in getting their tools and their metrics into many of the agency planning tools. But we've got a number of other kind of rival metrics uh, coming into the market, particularly in the programmatic space. And we are, you know, as a media owner, we're having to navigate that. We're having to work with all of these kind of providers um, Mm. to, first of all, you know, implement the measurement and then, you know, provide the output of that measurement to our various different partners. The net result of that is that it ends up placing you know, there's, there's, there's definitely operational burden there um, for the media owner, but the, it also results in confusion in market. You know, which metric is best? What am I, you know, what's involved in those metrics? How do I best assess them? You know, so from our point of view, and, you know, this, a similar thing is, is about to happen with, with carbon output measurement, which is about to hit the market. And Scope 3 is an organisation who, who just launched here in Australia who are working on being able to provide measurement on how much carbon is output um, at each stage of the programmatic supply chain and then at the publisher end as well. You know, they're the first ones to come in, but we're already hearing noises about others, others coming in as well and various different ways of measuring. Um, I guess, you know, the my ask is that we, you know, start to look really quickly at standardisation around all of this. My other role um, is as an IAB board member and we are highly aware of this issue and we're looking at both standardisation around attention measurement and around um, carbon emissions. Just out of interest, Susie, is the appetite there to get some standardisation from the IAB's perspective but also from agencies or what happens? Certainly from the IAB's perspective and, and the, you know, the media owner and platform members of the IAB definitely, you know, united in a, you know, a requirement for standards where, you know, the IAB is working with the MFA to see if we can, you know, also get that sort of same sort of agreement on standardisation um, across the agencies as well. Right. But from my point of view, for a marketer, it has to happen. Otherwise, it becomes incredibly, <laughs> it's just an incredibly confusing landscape. And it's incredibly difficult um, to navigate and to know which questions to ask. Mm. And so time frame, well, firstly, do you think standardisation will happen faster in this instance around either attention or in emissions uh, tracking and reduction? Will that happen faster? And it does mean, though, that the IB's got to pick a winner if you're talking about standardisation. Is that what? It's not necessarily about picking a winning methodology. It's about looking at the elements that go into the methodology and and agreeing that those elements are the right ones and the best way to measure. So that's not about picking a winner. I mm. think that time frame is a great question. I'm not sure. Certainly the IAB is, is looking at both of these things right now. 
Um, it's going to depend a little bit. You know, attention is obviously the the one that we need to look at more quickly, pay more attention to. Bang, boom. That was clever. Thanks. Yeah. See what I did there? Um, <laughs> but the, the carbon emissions measurement is going to be following hot, hot on the heels. Mm. And this is, I guess, this is, I mean, I hear this quite a bit. The concern from media owners across the board is that, to your point, the burden of compliance and all this tends to come down the supply chain, down the food chain and lands with the media owners to deal with it all. And a lot of others can pass it on, if you like. So that's kind of where I, I think you're saying that there is a, that there needs to be some conversation around that. Yeah, that's exactly right. Hmm. Okay, really interesting conversation. Let's. Um, I'm genuinely interested, though, in the final thoughts from you on what is happening in the market. You know, we saw this week uh, a number of uh, advertisers came out of MI3 talking about real concerns on on budget for next year because of you know the highest inflation rate in 40 years in Australia and a whole bunch of other supply chain issues um, and sourcing. That is now getting companies like you know Telstra. Arnott's, uh, Baeda Chicken, which is Steggles, uh, Suncorp, uh, even Uber Eats, the great digital um, magic growth engine, is talking about sort of cautionary tales for next year. Um, what's your sense? Look, I think, you know, the challenge, I think the challenge for all of us is that it's very uneven at the moment. We're not seeing any kind of uniformity across the market. There are some categories um, who are strong and who are expressing real confidence and there are other categories that, um, you know, that, that are the Make opposite. you nervous. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so, you know, it's very difficult to kind of say with any sort of certainty, um, you know, what that, you know, is going to look like in three months' time, in, in six months' time. Yeah, okay. So it's just still staying fluid for the moment. Staying fluid, I think that's right, yeah. Good uh, observations there, Susie. Now, I, I guess um, I did hear a whisper, and I have to ask you, I'm sorry, but I heard a whisper that you might even be leaving News Corp. Is that the case? That is the case, yes. Where are you going? We announced that last week. To an as yet undisclosed uh, organisation, which I think is a direct quote from your article, Paul McIntyre. Right. I'll be able to talk about that um, probably in the next month or so. Is it media? Is it waste management? Is it uh, plastics manufacturing? Where are you I, going? What does it sound like? Reveal, You're not going to tell me. I can me. reveal it's not waste management. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I am no staying in uh, in the data space and in, in the customer data space. All right. Well, that got me nowhere. So it looks like I'll have to keep hustling. Susie Carwell, great to chat and look forward to hearing where you go next and, um, and also what happens uh, in this great battle between media and social media. Stay safe and we'll, we shall talk again. Thanks very much, Paul. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre, that's more. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 audio edition to listen for free. Listener.